Hey, are you looking to upgrade your key life areas and evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness personal growth and spirituality in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which uniquely fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary self-growth and spiritual disciplines to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you unleash your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Who is going to blow the lid on something that far too many of us have faced at some stage in our life? Being burned out in our career, not knowing where we should turn and how to build the path to a fulfilling, satisfying and inspiring career and leave that burnout behind. So a little bit about our very special guest today. His name is Sean Cecil. He has been a director in a major finance firm, advised at the famous Boston Consulting Group. He studied bioengineering as well as various other healing and mindset modalities. He is the author of Soul Fire, a guide to finding your right place in career and life and so much more. He's a voracious learner with a fervent belief in the ability of being able to better oneself through self-reflection and study through a systematic process to bring about the renaissance man in or woman in you and me. And after an epiphany that he had some time ago, he wanted to take his love of continuous learning and knowledge and everything he had done in his career and in the many organizations he worked and synthesize it into a process that could help people achieve their full potential and leave burnout behind. And that was the birth of the Oculus Institute, where he helps individuals make and fulfill their full potential. Please welcome Sean Cecil. Thanks, Prash. Thank you for that, uh, that extensive introduction. You're very kind and I'm very happy to be here. Sean, it's a, it's a distinct pleasure because I came to know about you, of course, through a recommendation uh, from a very trusted uh, expert within the podcast industry. And she really emphasized how your style and approach is quite refreshingly different. Not only because you're an author and you've actually written about the subjects that we're talking about, about career, about burnout, about finding your purpose and for living a fulfilling life, but also because you've lived this, you've been through this, you've been in that corporate ladder, you've been in the rat race, and you've known what it's like to be employed and then to leave it all behind and become a business owner in your own right. So I'd love it if you'd just share a little bit about your background for the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, so a question, how raw can I get on this story? Because there's a point where I hit rock bottom and I just want to wonder whether, whether I can be all out on that. You can be as raw as, um, you know, public uh, language guidelines allow. So go for it and share it. Take us yeah, a little bit okay. on that Awesome. Sure. So, um, so 
you know, I was on the conventional path to success that everybody says you should follow. I went and got good grades, went to a nice university, got a job at a big consulting firm, all that kind of stuff. And while I was there, I, um, I burned out for a variety of reasons. Some of it was, you know, there was a culture of putting in a lot of hours, whether you're adding value or not, as some kind of like twisted freshman hazing ritual, which yeah. never sat well with me. Um, but also the fact that like I wasn't really aligned with my true function. So I burned out. Um, I got into some conflicts with some of the partners because I'm the kind of person where if I'm dissatisfied, I'll just go tell somebody. Um, and, and so anyway, eventually I got fired because I brought too many problems to their desk. I was the best analyst in the state, but they, you know, and I got by, I got a lot of get out of jail free cards, but you can't get an infinite amount of get out of jail free cards. You know, if, if you're clearly not you. happy, right, this is not going to work. <laughs> so, um, no. I went freelance for a while. I actually made more money freelance. And I was only, when I was freelancing in this space, I was working like 30 hours a week and I was making six figures. So I was young. Um, you know, I had now had a bunch of money, a bunch of time, but I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. So I went out partying. You know, I was chasing girls and drinking and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And like, that was the focus of my life because I didn't have anything better to do, you know? And, right. and there was this like splinter in my mind that this just wasn't, this, this couldn't be it, you know, like it right. just couldn't be. Um, so my biggest client brought me on full time. That was the finance firm that you mentioned, um, big RIA. And while I was there, I got into, uh, Initially, it was very good, but again, there was still something missing. It right. was better than the BCG, but um, you know, I started to develop conflicts with my boss, which at the time I thought was just entirely due to the fact that he was bipolar, which he was, but the bigger problem was that I was restless. And so I would keep bringing stuff to him because I had this restlessness because there was right. something there, you know? And so eventually you know as our relationship deteriorated and the splinter in my mind didn't go away i started to get really depressed because i felt that i had this choice i could either be financially successful and sell my soul to somebody else or i could be broke and maybe happy but like neither of those two was going to work for me and at this point i got so depressed that i became suicidal and i found myself wow. staring down the barrel of my gun and that's the raw thing that I that I mentioned, but for whatever reason, I uh, had a flicker of hope, and I started searching. And eventually, after several months, I was in a room where somebody was talking about following your authentic values and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly, it was like this epiphany. I realized that my function in this world is to learn and to teach to absorb process and transmit information that's what i do right birds fly fish swim sean deals in information that's just how i am Love and it. then from there i was like okay listen how can i do this you know in a way that's like you know not a high school teacher or professor and so i got into personal development and that is how i got started on this journey <laughs> so i hear that that trauma that deep pain that you felt and that deep discomfort in the roles that you did was a powerful catalyst in helping to shape how you now show up in the world. What do you regard now? What does the Sean of today regard as his mission? What, what drives you to wake up in that morning? You talked about teaching and, 
um, assimilating and teaching. What what is what is your prime driver? What is your wish for the people that you encounter? Well, so I mean, when it comes to the people that I encounter, I want everybody who interacts with me to be better off for their interaction with me, right? In terms of mission, honestly, I, so I've I have a a spiritual system or a, a spiritual technology, you might call it, that helps clear out a lot of the noise in, in, in your head and help you get in touch with your authentic values. I would, you know, this is a big, hairy, audacious goal, as they say in the entrepreneurship world here in, in Texas, but I would love to have a million people go through that system and change Psycho their hacking, lives right? that. I think that would be amazing. Psychohacking, right? That, yes, that's called that psychohacking. That's correct. That's love the name it. of the system. That's correct. <laughs> it may, that may show up again in 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 in, in this because obviously a lot of our viewers will be familiar with NLP, various other techniques that are used to codify and decodify or deconstruct roadblocks, mental roadblocks that appear for. So us. I I want to you mentioned NLP. I want to make a very important distinction here, right? There are four, fundamentally four types of internal work, right? Mental and spiritual work. You can put them into four buckets. Right. One of them is NLP and everything related to that. And most of the coaching world relies very heavily on that. Um, it was popularized by Tony Robbins. Um, it has some advantages. It also has some disadvantages. Uh, the second group would be positive psychology, which most spirituality law of attraction coaches are fundamentally based in, in this kind of positive psychology model. Um, then the third would be like psychotherapy and, and well, more psychotherapy and psychology. Right. Uh, and then the fourth would be psychohacking and other esoteric derived methods. So those are kind of like the four different buckets. And I could go into detail about each, but I just wanted to make that clear for the audience. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, so when we talk about these practices, what value can such practices hold when it comes to somebody who is in their 30s or 40s? They feel they're feeling burned out. They're feeling that their career is not all it cracked up to be. Maybe they haven't felt physical burnout yet, but they're mentally getting burnt out. They're beginning to become dissatisfied or just disillusioned, especially in the climate that we have right now, where a lot of people are beginning to re-examine is there more isn't is there any more to life than this? Is 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 this all it's meant to be? work here and you know when the reality of existence and human connection is more pointed now probably than any time in recent history what promises can diving into these areas like psychohacking whether it's NLP applied psychology etc hold for individuals to make a powerful transformation in their personal and professional life yeah, sure. So at the highest level, right, when we're talking about um, just living, right, if you're in a very conditioned state, if you're in a very stressed out state, if you're on autopilot all the time, then you're going to see a couple of things happen. One is you're going to see your time horizons contract. You're going to be operating day to day, right? Um, you're not going to be thinking long term. You're not going to be making the best long term decisions. You're just going to be trying to get through the day. The second thing is you're going to see your social horizons contract, the more stressed you are, the more focused you are on yourself and maybe the people immediately around you. 
But if you have a sense of a bigger purpose, if you have a sense of wanting to have an impact, you can't do that if you can't empathize with all the people involved. And if your social horizons are constricted, you're not gonna be able to do that. If you wanna build a business, you gotta be able to empathize with your, your customers. So if you're all stressed out, that's gonna be really challenging and then your marketing's gonna struggle. So your time horizons constrict, your social horizons constrict, and as a result, people who are in this kind of day-to-day -day survival kind of mindset because they're in a state of stress, you know, it's very easy to look at that and say, you know, what's even going on here? Like the grandeur of life gets, you know, sucked away right. because you can't focus on anything else. You know, you're like a, a wolf always hunting for its next meal, right? And, and there's no richness to life when you're operating like that. When you're thinking about you know, hey, listen, what legacy am I going to leave 50 years from now? What impact can I have on the world? Right? That's the kind of thing that brings people fulfillment. So just being on kind of stressed out autopilot in and of itself is going to drain the life out of you. The second main benefit is if you go and you clear all that static in your mind, you can get in touch with your authentic values. So one of the things that happens with pretty much everybody is as we grow up, we get conditioned to operate by the values of the people around us. And those values aren't necessarily the same as our, our authentic values. And so if we're in a state where we're, we think we have to be obedient, where we have to please other people, where we have to defer to authority, um, all this kind of stuff, it's going to create this conflict between the values that we think we ought to have and the values that we actually do have. Right. And so if you actually want to, you know, get in touch with your nature, whatever that may be, yeah. You have to be able to filter out everybody else's values and focus on your own values so that you can determine what's actually going to make you happy. <laughs> and how do you, I mean, that's a, that's a really, I mean, that's, that's a big point. Many of us probably are, you know, obviously I talk about it in my coaching and training that, you know, we have our self-concept and our self-concept has been, has been fed since childhood with other people's values and beliefs. And we've mysteriously and unwittingly believe them to be our own, but they're not. What do you see as a powerful way to detangle other people's values and beliefs from our own? Well, so it's not, unfortunately, as simple as that, because in order to do that, you have to bring your mind to a point of order, right? So this is, I like to tell people that, like, imagine that you're a, ro you're a robot, right? So a robot, there's a metal body, and that's your body, right? Then there's software that runs the robot and that's the mind. But you are not that software Either. and you are not that body. You are the programmer who built the robot, right? You get to choose how the scripts operate. You are the soul, not the mind. And so for that soul to, to get in touch with itself, you have to clear out all the static in the mind. Because for most people, the mind is like something that's infected with computer viruses. Like imagine you have a computer, you have 78 tabs open, you have three videos playing, four songs, you don't know where the music's coming from and it's got 15 viruses yeah. pop-ups telling you that you owe $500 for ransomware. That's how most people's minds operate. And so in that I, I, chaos, like that. you can't actually get, <laughs> yeah, you can't actually get in touch with your authentic values. So the first thing you have to do is clear out that chaos. That's step number one. <laughs> yeah, so, I like that. You know, I, I, I like to break that. Hmm? I like that. I love the analogy, um, you know, in, in, in health and fitness, when people go on a certain diet, before they go on the diet itself, they go into what's called a palate cleanse. At least that's how I teach it. I get my clients to do a palate cleanse. They've got to go and simplify their food for a week or two weeks to reacclimatize the tongue because there's so many complicated tastes and appetites and likes and dislikes. You've got to 
clear that out. So you get a palate cleanse. So it's really about neutralizing those tabs. And as you say in your analogy, to get to a point where you've got some degree of um, stillness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can dive into detail about like the different ways to go about that uh, if you're interested, or we could just go to the next step in the process, whatever, whatever you feel is best for the timeline. Well, I think, you know, it would be great just to, you know, give us an insight into how into a way, a well tested way that we might go about looking to bring that stillness so that we can really get in touch with our authentic self where we can revisit or embrace our own true values. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I've used for myself and from, you know, all of my clients, um, and I can say, and this is not something many people can say, but up to this point, for the clients who have actually done the work and gone through the system, I have a 100% success rate on getting them to something that they're enthusiastic about. I'm very proud of that. I do not allow that to fail. Um, that assumes, of course, that people do their part, right? So the way that I go about it is you start off with a very important principle, and that is you want to observe the mind from the perspective of the soul without condemnation or justification. Because if you're justifying what you observe, then it's going to stay there. You're saying it's valuable. And if you're condemning it, you're going to build an aversion to the observation, and then you won't be able to keep doing it. So I break it into many phases. I mean, the first phase that we look at is X. Well, first we do a very like introductory thing of realize how mechanically you operate and how conditioned you are. Cause most people, they think that they're making all these decisions. They're not, it's just prior conditioning loops. And we start to observe stress and the effects it has on your body and mind. So that's kind of like introduction phase. Then we go into external conflict. We look at complaining, we look at entitlement, we look at blame, we look at revenge and revenge fantasies. And at this point, people start to realize that they've got a lot going on there that they weren't aware of. And they have a lot of wounds and projections and all this other stuff. And yeah. that drains a massive amount of energy. But when you start to see it slowly, it starts to wither and die, right? Then the next phase we go into is internal conflict, right? So internal conflict is people pleasing, deferring to authority, self-judgment, false fronts, all these things where people are trying to be something they're not or, or communicate something that they don't believe or whatever to make other people happy, right? And that's something that is probably more common than the external conflict. And, is, and, and as you start to see that and the effects that it has on you, again, slowly it starts to decrease, right? Just observing it, it will just naturally start to decline as long as you don't feed it energy. Then I go into dissolving stress. Um, and you can break all stress into four categories, anger, guilt, fear, and grief. Um, now, I define that technically in a way that is, uh, as we would say at BCG, mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive. So anger is stress attached to blame directed at someone else. Guilt is stress attached to blame directed at yourself. Fear is stress not attached to blame about something potentially in the future. And then grief is stress not attached to blame about the past or the present, right? Beautiful. And so, Beautiful. Yeah. So that way you can categorize every single stress you have. And then each one has a different method of dissolving it because they, they operate at a psychological level. They operate very differently, right? So if you go in, then you can dissolve each of them. Uh, and that, again, that allows you to get to a place of calm. Now, the problem is that when you're at that place of calm, that keep popping back up that you're playing whack-a-mole. Now, if you want to stop playing whack-a-mole, you have to go a level deeper into the mind and you have to go into the things that are triggering these stresses. Um, things like expectations, 
things like associations, things like, um, you know, replaying old records and things like greed, which is this, the constant insatiable search for more, better and different. And once you've dealt with those, now you're at a much, much, much deeper place of calm, a much more constant place of calm. And you have all the tools to handle all of this as it arises, which allows you, even as stuff comes up for you to stay in the state, now you can really get into your beliefs and values. Now you can start looking at, you know, what, what in NLP belief reframing, which is now a lot more powerful because you don't have all these random emotional charges coming in from every direction. Right. Right. And then you can do a real values discovery based on what you spend time on, what you spend money on, what you spend thought on, what you spend energy on willingly and happily, as opposed to because you feel you have to. And because you're in this place where you can actually like listen to your heart and your soul, you can do that without trying to say, Oh, well, this should be a value and that should be a value. And Oh, I, well, I just don't want this thing, right? Because that whole moving away from thing, that's not a real value. That's just fear, right? (laughs) And so because you've dealt with all that, now you can actually get to what's going on. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, there is a path to get to that situation. Um, I myself work in different ways. I sometimes get people into an induced state. We do light hypnosis, um, tap into the subconscious mind and then start to ascertain where those old stories, and I call them ancient wounds, you've referred to Mm -hmm. you know, where they've been kind of seeded to look and go and start to bring them to the surface. And again, getting into that observer mode, because by observing something as a third party, you're able to start to break that, that grip that it's held for so long. You start to realize sometimes the absurdity of the very thing that was previously (laughs) held as a belief or that was gripping you or choking you. So I really resonate with that. Um, Let's talk about why people end up getting burned out and dissatisfied in their career the the top most common reasons why people end up feeling dissatisfied and burned out in their career from your observation Abby, so it all starts yeah absolutely so um it all starts when in in childhood really right as a kid you know at by the first time you have any kind of awareness of what's going on it's oh do what my parents say which as a child makes perfect sense because you're a little kid. Yeah, you know they're our caretakers, right? right? They're our caretakers. Like they know. Okay. Right. Then you go off to school and it's, oh, do whatever the teacher says. And for young kids, that makes sense. In middle school, it still kind of makes sense. By the time you're in high school, you should start thinking for yourself, but most people don't. Then people go off to university and then it's do whatever the professor says, right? And then at this point, we've just people have been so acclimatized to this notion of obedience, right? I mean, like the the very education system was designed by a guy named Horace Mann. Um, And he went, he studied a whole bunch of education systems all over the world in the 1800s. And he decided that he wanted the U.S. to follow something called the Prussian uh, common school system, right? Which was designed to do two things. It was designed to make productive industrial workers, and also to instill a a pattern of obedience, right? Because in Prussia, they wanted you to go be a good worker, do what you're told, maybe go be a good soldier, because Prussia was very big into war at the time, right? And, and, and that kind of proto-industrial revolution mindset became the dominant template for all of our education system. And then what happens is because everybody's thinking that, hey, listen, if I'm not, doing, if I'm not following some authority, then I'm off the path. 
then when you graduate, you know, you, oh, well, go, go find a good job at a big corporation and then you'll have a boss and he'll be the authority, right? And if you do anything at any point where you're like doing your own thing or thinking for yourself, that's dangerous. Don't go do that, right? And, and it's not consciously said that way, but it's a subconscious pattern that society has instilled. And most people yeah. who believe this, they don't even realize that they're no. perpetuating it, no. right? But think about it. When your parents say, hey, listen, you need to go get a good job. Get, go get a good job like being a doctor. Go get a good job like being a lawyer, right? What they're saying is, hey, listen, follow a well-trod, prescribed path that other people have walked that may fit for other people, but we don't care if it fits for you or not, but you need to go do it because otherwise you're going to be a poor, broken star, which is not true, by the way, because the people who are most successful have actually not followed that path. <laughs> They've gone in aligned with what they're meant to do. And that's why they put so much into it and why they get so much out of it, right? So the evidence actually doesn't make any sense if you look at it, but that's right. kind of the pattern that everyone's adopted. So that makes a lot of sense uh, that it has its origin somewhere out there. Now, how does it play out? Um, and obviously, you know, you and I both work with people who have faced burnout, who faced that deep dissatisfaction. I mean, I certainly work with people in their 40s and 50s who've, whose kids have grown up, they're at university now, they've got the money coming in, so it's not about the money anymore. It's not about raising the kids anymore, but they feel this deep gap. This but it is, it is about the money. It shouldn't be, but it is. Because what happens is they've been so conditioned that if they don't have this income, that they're going to die almost. That's not what it's said, but all fear is fundamentally premised on, on that fear of death. So like, if I don't have this money, I don't know what's going to happen. So it shouldn't be about the money, but it is. And, mm -hmm. and they can't, people can't let go of that because the fear is so powerful because it's been instilled in them since they were old enough to think about jobs is that you have to be making enough money, you have to be making enough money, you have to be making enough money, even though the best way to make money isn't to go do other people's stuff. Like that's what people get instilled with. And then that's, they hold on to that even past when it's no longer remotely relevant to them. So are you saying that in your views, that people in general could get by, or let me rephrase that, people could actually not just only get by, but probably thrive, flourish emotionally, physically, spiritually, with considerably less than they think they need. Well, yes, that's true, but you also don't need to take a pay cut to be successful. I mean, my client on average ends up making fifty dollars to $100,000 a year more not less. So yes, people could absolutely get by on less than they think they need. But even though that's the case, they don't have to. Um, I mean, I always say you don't want to be attached to anything. You don't want to be attached to money. You don't want to be attached to your possessions. Like that's never helpful. But, you know, even if people can't drop that attachment, you can still deal with the irrational fear that if you're true to yourself, you're going to be broke because we have this starving artist kind of, um, and, you know, story yeah. there that people repeat over and over again, but it doesn't really work like that, <laughs> right? In reality, like if people are, if you're fulfilled, you're gonna be operating more efficiently. You're gonna be learning more because the brain learns a lot faster when it thinks it's playing. Yeah, dopamine, right? dopamine levels are elevated. All the right, exactly. Stuff. And so even though immediately in the immediate term, it, you, 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 know, you may not be able to make a jump and make more money. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Over time, it's a compounding effect that becomes really, really powerful because as you learn more, you're able to add more value. As you're able to add more value, you're going to be able to get more back because fundamentally, like 
the way to be successful is to have a skill set that adds value to other human beings and be able to persuade them to monetize you for it. That's it. That's how you make money. People think that you have to have degrees and certifications and this and that and the boss and the approval and the stamp and the promotion and the resume. At the end of the day, none of that matters, right? Like Rachel Ray didn't go to culinary school, but she made like $50 million doing cooking shows. You know, like I can name you a bunch of tech billionaires who dropped out of university. They don't have all these certifications. They didn't follow the path. They just did something that they believed in, right? And the reason why people who go and start their own businesses or follow their dreams end up broke is not because they're following their purpose. It's because they haven't learned how to persuade people to actually give them money because they're either not adding real value, they've deluded themselves into thinking that what they're selling is more valuable than it is, or they don't understand empathy and marketing and sales and all these things that are needed to be really successful in persuasion. I love that. That's a truth bomb right there. That is a truth bomb. <laughs> if, so let's talk about what people can do in that scenario. If they're employed, mm -hmm. they're in a job, they know they've got to bring the paycheck home for their families, for their livelihood, all that sort of stuff. They're trying their best, their best to keep afloat, especially in this climate where they're probably just trying to, people are trying to cling onto their job. Others have been made redundant and they're looking for another job. But let's just talk about people who are trying to cling onto their job. They're dissatisfied. That burnout is building up. They're doing two people's roles, sometimes three people's roles. They know there are 15 other people who could fill that role quite easily. They're easily dispensable. And so all that extra pressure and expectation that's coming down organizationally is really playing on them. Or as a leader, they've got the stakeholders. Whatever it is, at any level of an organization, if they're feeling that real dissatisfaction and they're feeling that burnout coming on, or that overwhelm, emotionally or physically, what are the first steps they can start to take proactively without going crazy and just, you know, ditching everything or, you know, risking low risk steps? Yeah, well, so I mean, I can give you a whole path from beginning to end low risk all the way, right? Step number one is you've got to do this internal work. You've got to clear out the stress and the conditioning and all that kind of stuff, because if you don't, you will burn out. And when you burn out, you're either going to quit because you can't take it anymore or you're going to get fired because you're walking through there like a zombie and everybody can right. see you. Everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what happened to me at BCG. Everyone knew I was unhappy. I got fired, right? It's not that my work, right? So the first thing you want to do is you want to go do that internal work just to get your sanity back. And then once you've done that internal work, now you can get clear on your authentic values you can get clear on your natural function. You can get clear on your mission. And then you can get clear on what your purpose is. Now, the thing about this purpose is you got to give yourself the license to dream a little bit because this isn't something that you're going to do next month. Right. It may take years to build and that's okay. That's, that's part of how this works. Anything really great takes a lot of time to build. But if you get clear on the end goal first, now you have something to work towards. Right. So now you've gotten your sanity back because you've done some internal work and you have a long-term goal. Right. The next step is you want to plan out bridges from where you are to that long-term goal, right? And, and this is something that I help people with this kind of career planning of how do I go from A to B to C to D to E so that I never have a major drop in my income, right? Uh, at least not a sustained major drop. You may have something where, you know, it drops for a couple of weeks or whatever while you get something else together. That's fine, right? right? But, 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 you know, not something where you go for a year without earning money or whatever, and you can set that up. And the, the, the bigger your dream is, 
And the farther away it is from what you're currently doing, the more steps you're going to need and the longer those steps will take. But you can always make a path. There, you can always make a path. I have never seen a situation where somebody could not make a path unless they had a, they put a dream that was unattainable. So for example, if they're 55 and they say they want to be an NBA superstar, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> the vast majority of people undersell themselves. They don't oversell themselves. Most people will say, oh, I can't do that when they actually can, right? The vast majority of problem comes with people not giving themselves license. To that's when the inner critic and uh, imposter syndrome, which are also exactly. of, you need to pull out that's part of the inner work that's part of having a coach that's part of having somebody exactly. guide you on this journey a lot of people exactly and i think and let's just put this out there folks um you know you're tuned in you may or may not have a coach as you're watching this but let me say something there is not one person that i've interviewed in all the years of podcasting who hasn't had some sort of coach or mentor in their journey yeah, of success. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I am so, so, so in favor of coaching because so like for me, when I, you know, I try to figure out a lot of stuff on my own and I'm a clever guy and I did figure out a lot on my own. But when I found out, when I had that epiphany, I was in a room where there was somebody talking, right? And he didn't personally come help me, but that wisdom right there was what helped yeah. me make that connection. Right. And then when I started my own business, you know, I invested in many coaches, right? First person I invested in was kind of an online info product. Um, and I learned a lot and that was great. The second guy was basically a charlatan. I lost some money. Well, you know, tough cookies. The third guy that I invested in gave me a modality that at the time was very effective and allowed me to get my business off the ground. And I made back many times what I invested with that guy. And I invested a lot with him over the years, right? And then I had another coach to help me with, um, you know, with newer marketing stuff and content stuff. And, you know, I paid him, you know, I, I mean, I'll just be upfront. I paid him $25,000, but in the first year I made 125 back in directly attributable profit, right? So that's not saying my total revenue, that's not my total profit. That is money that is 100% I can track and tie to initiatives that he had me do. So I got five times my money on that, you know? Um, <laughs> so it's like most of the time when I've invested in coaches, when I've had any modicum of you know, thought of, hey, listen, is this the right person? It's turned out really well for me. And people, it's amazing how much people are scared to invest in their own self-education. They're fine investing $200,000 going to some university because everybody tells them that's what they're supposed to do because that's society's safe path. You have to do that. That's non-optional. But to invest even a couple thousand dollars in themselves, they won't do it, most people. And, and the result is that they stay really, really, really stuck because there's somebody who could fix that problem like that, you know, and, and when you don't avail yourself of those resources, you never get that, you know, exponential growth benefit that really leads you to be the most successful you can be. Every major athlete has not just one coach, but multiple coaches, right? Every top executive has at least one coach. I've never met a top executive who does not have at least one coach or mentor. Never has never seen it. <laughs> And this is the fact, my friend, I mean, as so and recapping for everybody here, we've got number one, we're going to get the internal work done. So if you're feeling that you're really feeling that it's time for a change, you want to break out of that burnout and find fulfillment and inspiration in this career or another career path or your own business. One, do the internal work. Secondly, get clarity in your key values, your mission, vision, and purpose. You know I'm passionate. For those of you who followed me, you know I'm always about the MVPR, mission, vision, values, mission, vision, values, purpose. Get that MVPV right once you've got that alignment. Define your long-term goals. Then work with somebody who can help you to build and identify and then build those bridges, those dot points on the journey to that goal that you want to get. 
And having that coach is a key part of this success factor because the coach is going to be able to see where your limiting beliefs or imposter syndrome tendencies are holding you back from achieving your true potential. Right, Sean? No, it's, it's so much. Yes, that's correct. And I'd like to stack on that. A coach can help with the internal work. That's, that's super valid because as Einstein said, you cannot fix a broken system, broken mind with the same broken thinking that created it. So if you're not, if you're not leveled up, you're going to need somebody to help you level up. The next thing is a coach can help you get clear on your purpose. Ultimately that's you, but they can kind of guide you and poke you and, you know, steer you a little bit. As far as the career planning, they can absolutely plan out those bridges because most people, they don't have experience in career planning. It's not something that they do because they just follow the same yeah. path. And it's like, sure. if, you want to put, if you want to get to a financial goal, you hire a financial planner. If you want to get to a career goal, hire a career planner. <laughs> you know? And, and then giving you a shout for that, Sean. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm happy to help, obviously. Well, they, um, they, they need to read Soulfire. They should read well, Soulfire. That. We'll come back to that. So, yeah. So, yeah, we'll come back to that. Capping this advice off. So we've got it, getting a coach, having somebody on your team uh, who is able to be there for you. And that value, hopefully, folks, you know, you've realized it. it is not to be underestimated. So that's great. Sean, what is the key criteria, aside from the things we've talked about, that could really cement a person's ability to find that fulfillment and then that and that satisfaction in their life whether it's um, an employed career their own business whatever it is in all your years of learning what is that special source a refusal to settle wow the refusal to settle yeah it's the refusal to settle because if you have that mentality that, hey, listen, I'm not going to settle for living somebody else's life, then you're going to do whatever it takes. And that's, that's where courage comes from, right? Is, hey, listen, this is going to be scary. This is going to be challenging. This is going to be a lot of work. But whatever it takes, it comes from that refusal to settle. I love that. But let me, let me throw in one challenge here. We get the, the flip side of this. The flip side of this is somebody who doesn't want to settle the flip side is somebody who's stuck in complacency they lack the discipline or motivation and a lot of people by the way consider discipline and motivation to be the kind of same thing it isn't in fact i know you like to make that distinction would you share the importance of the distinction between discipline and motivation and how it relates to avoiding complacency and not settling but at the same time, not becoming so greedy and, un- and restless that you're never satisfied. Well, so I, I would argue that if you're greedy and restless, that you've got, like, yes, there's a refusal to settle. But if you don't have a target, then that's the problem. I'm saying if you have a target and you say, hey, listen, I know where I want to go. I'm not yeah. going to settle for any less. If you say there is no target. Well, then it's not that you're settling. You're just, as you say, greedy and restless and all over the place. If you don't, if you don't have any idea where you're going, you're just like, oh, I'm never going to be happy. That's not, you're gonna, you know, that's, that's just misery. <laughs> that's just like Scrooge. Like you can never win. That's yeah. setting up the game in a way that you're guaranteed to lose because there's no, there's no winning point there. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you. That's a, that's a whole nother barrel of fish. Um, I have personally, I have observed that people who are complacent tends to be the majority of people. Absolutely. 
it's a major problem. Um, right but there, right there your... alongside deference of authority and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all tied together. syndrome and the... it's all tied together. It's all tied together. Yep. But to I, answer I know your my question, friend, I, I know all too well, my friend with, with our yeah. class as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to answer your question about discipline and motivation, motivation is when you're doing something because you want to do it. Discipline is when you're doing it because even though you don't want to do it, you know it's going to get you to wherever you want to be. And I would argue that, like that. most people start in complacency. I love that. And then you have to develop discipline to create an environment where you're fueled by motivation. So you have to pass from complacency to discipline to motivation. You can't skip discipline. A lot of people want to skip discipline and they say, hey, listen, I just want everything to always be easy. And that's not how the universe works. Right? Initiative needs resistance in order to take form. Right. Um, so you have to pass through that discipline phase. But then you can, as long as you have a goal that's going to give you that motivation, you have something to work towards. If you I don't have that. that goal, then, you know, you're just adrift in a sea. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and that's where things can spiral downwards because you've gotten so far stuck. I think that, and, 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 and let's just speak to that. How many of you out here who are out there who are watching this have felt that desire at some stage? You want to change, but it's like, it's too much. Uh, it's never going to happen. I'm too old now. It's not happened. It's too late. I, uh, my circumstances won't allow. And, what happens is you kind of end up talking yourself into feeling that, well, where you are is not so bad. Well, it's better than what you know. Is that not a curse that falls upon people? And what could people do to shake themselves up, to come out of that trap? Well, so as you know, ultimately, it's all based in fear, whatever that fear may be, right? It's all based in fear. So this is where, you know, we go back to that internal work again. Dissolving fear okay. is one of the best things you can do. But if you want just a, a, a simple, it's not easy, but a simple way to do it, start living by one new rule. This is a rule that I live my life by. I never make a decision from a place of fear. Now, that is way easier said than done. But if you do it for a while, you'll get the hang of it. And then it becomes natural. Never making a decision from a place of fear is a art, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it is an art. Um, I think so many of us do that, whether it's fear of uncertainty, fear of, uh, at the moment, fear of uncertainty is a huge one, right? People are making decisions based on fear of uncertainty. People are making decisions based on fear of loss, that they're gonna lose their loved one if they go and make this move here. If I go and do this role, I might lose my loved one. If I make this career change, my lover, my wife, my partner might leave me. If I do this over here, my parents are going to be dissatisfied. Or it's going to be guilt, right? If I don't do this, my, you know, I'm going to be dishonoring my family. I'm going to dishonor the whatever it is. A lot of people are driven by that. All of us have had that feeling. Is there a way from your experience to transmute that without losing years? You get a coach. Of course, part of this is getting a coach has to be but what can one start to do practically to start to transmute that thinking well i'm happy to share how i dissolve fear with my clients the simple three-step well four-step process step one get very clear on exactly what you're afraid of step two figure out what's really the fear beneath the fear because there's always something deeper and the question that's really good for getting there is so what if this happens so what this thing that you're afraid is going to come to pass say it happens so what Right? And you may have to do that a couple of times. You may have to dig down a couple of layers. But you get down to what the real fear is. And sometimes you'll find that the real fear is actually really trivial 
in light of the stakes at play. And if you can see that and laugh at it because of the absurdity, then that dissolves the fear. If Love you can't, maybe it's, maybe it's something serious. Then you go to step three, which is you ask, is it remotely plausible? And if you realize that it's like not even close to plausible, then you can laugh at that. Again, laughing at absurdity. But if that doesn't work, if it is plausible, if it's a serious thing and it could happen, then you have to go into the last stage, which is I call contingency planning. Imagine that it's already happened. Not that you're going to try to prevent it somehow, but imagine it is already happening. Right in front of you, yeah. Right in front of you. What do you do now to get to a life that you can accept? Now, as long as you don't go into the trap of, oh, I would do this to stop it from happening in the first place, and you go into what you would do and get to a place that you can accept, you drain all that emotional venom out of the fear. And it may still be uncomfortable, but it doesn't paralyze you anymore. I love that. And it's a model that I've used. I don't know if you... I don't know if you have a name for that model. I, I use the same model uh, with my clients and I call it defanging the snake. Oh. Defanging the snake. You've got a snake, the venom's come. It's funny you say the venom, right? So I call it yeah, defanging that's, the snake. That's hilarious. I didn't know that. <laughs> what a coincidence. Because why, why I call it defanging the snake is that, you know, in steps, in levels, in step three and four, of, you know, the way you described it, if fear has, if that, if that fear has come true, Right. If that reality has manifested, if you've gone through this process and you've got to the contingency planning, you've also minimized or mitigated or reduced the size of the fear in your mind. And you think I've and, you know, I chuck in some CBT like, oh, go back and look at where you've overcome similar situations in your life. Use bring that back and you've backed yourself Mm -hmm. up. So now you're more confident at handling what comes if and when it does land then it's going to be like the bite of that snake, but with the fangs taken out. It's still going to kind of, it's going to, it's going to prick a little bit. It's going to hurt, but it ain't going to kill you. But it ain't going to kill you. You're going to get through. It's defanging the snake. Yep. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love the analogies. So I, I haven't, I haven't met anybody who uses that exact same method though. So that's really funny because you and I, like, you know, we haven't like worked together. Like we just independently no. came to the same thing. Great minds think alike. It's, it, it is honestly that I'm a structure guy myself. So I, and I'm not engineering background, but I'm a tech background, you know, so yeah, well, you know, same, same, same but different, you know, so it's, uh, and, and let's not forget your logo, the Oculus Institute logo and our urban spirituality and um, stress to success logo has the same pointed star things that you, Wait, you, you, have, you have, a, you have an eight pointed star on yours too. No, uh, mine's is, I think, no, mine's is a six-pointed star. But a six-pointed star, but still, that's really close. <laughs> right? And it's got some oh, blue in it, right? That's funny. Uh, I love that's that. That's hilarious. Because I, I I we both put those together years ago, you know? Yep, so, yep, yep, 10 years hilarious. ago, my friend. 10 years ago, 12, 11 years ago now. So, um, oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, so, look, Sean, um, I got some rapid fires for you. Yeah, hit me. Uh, right. Sean Cecil is a Clark Kent in disguise. He is a superhero. He transforms with his cape, takes his glasses off, wears his steel vest and goes around doing great things. What would Sean Cecil do if he were a superhero? What superpower would he want and what would he do with it? Well, as far as superpower, one thing I would love to do is fly just because I think that some of the most beautiful sights in the world are seen from a great height. Now that's a purely selfish thing right there. Now granted, if you can fly, you can do a lot of good in the world. But honestly, I think I can do more good by teaching than I ever could by running around saving cats from trees. I think I can help people 
change their lives because the best change comes from within, not from without. Amen, brother. I could not, I could not <laughs> accept that myself. You know, the heart of my coaching is that, that you are the source of your own health, wealth, happiness, success, relationships, and ultimate destiny because it's you. It's the inner work. It's got to be investment in yourself, which is why a coach, coach is so important. Um, by the way, I should just add that there's a great, there's a great classical, neoclassical song called Fly by the Italian composer Ludovico Einaudi. I highly recommend, Sean, you check out Fly by Ludovico Einaudi. It is such a beautiful piece. It's going to be the closest thing, Sean, I promise you, to you actually going and taking a flight. <laughs> so check nice. it out. Nice. Um, Thank you for that. No, you're very welcome. Okay. And secondly, what would the Sean today say to the 20-year-old Sean back in the day? You have no idea the path that's ahead of you. But if there's one thing to remember, it's to be completely honest with yourself, especially about what you don't know. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire and empower you in your personal and spiritual journeys in life. As always, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, subscribe and share it with those you care about. And take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our unique events, workshops, or retreats, or taking advantage of our personal and professional coaching packages. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.